Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 7, brought to you by SB Nation, the SB Nation NFL show. Of course, I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T, the newly verified at Michael Kist NFL, by the way. Congrats to Twitter for adding a good one in me. Joining me as Kyle's got a, a face on, as if he doesn't agree. But look, I'm going to introduce him anyway. He's a good co-host. One of the best in the game at KP underscore show on Twitter. Not verified yet, but we're going to get him there. Kyle, how you doing, brother? I received an email Monday at 102 a.m. stating that I am indeed verified on Twitter. And if you go to KP underscore show, I am verified on Twitter. So don't listen to Michael Kiss. Don't listen to anything he has to say. I'm doing great, not because I'm verified, because let's be real, that just gives people more of a reason to make fun of us, which has already happened yes. and will continue to happen. But feel great, man. SB Nation, shout out to them for for getting other people verified. Congratulations also, Kyle. But you're right. Like I, I got into the world of Bears Twitter, and I have gotten into a dance with them before about a take that I had. And we had talked about this take, the Bears being, you know, paper tigers, probably the worst five in one team in the history of, of, of teams. But because I was verified, I really feel like Bears Twitter just took it up a notch because they are so sick. And I get it. They're so sick of national media and these the blue check brigade peeing on their parade, as it were. And I was just another one in a long line of people to do that. So apologies to Bears Twitter. Uh, I, I love the defense. So you got that going for you. Last time that happened where they had a bad quarterback and, you know, great defensive play. They were one and done in the playoffs. But whatever, whatever. I mean, that was Nick Foles, right? So maybe more Foles magic in the playoffs. I don't know. But we do have other quarterback news that I want to talk about today uh, to lead off the show. Uh, as we record this on Tuesday, news broke that the Miami Dolphins have benched Ryan Fitzpatrick in favor of their fifth overall selection in the draft from Alabama to attack of Iloa. This came as a shock to many, including myself. Fitzpatrick was playing some doggone good football, was coming off three wins in four games. The Dolphins are, however, coming into a bye, and the feeling was this is bound to happen eventually. Here, here's where I'm at with it, Kyle. And if you're listening at home, you can't see my tinfoil hat, but trust me, it's there. We all saw Andy Dalton and the lifeless Dallas Cowboys get trounced 38-10 to 10 on Monday Night Football by the Arizona Cardinals. Who better that could be available at this point in the season to give CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup a fighting chance to make plays than Ryan Fitzpatrick. If I'm Dallas, I am 100% making this call. If I'm Miami, I'm hanging up three times in a row until I know Dallas is serious and wants to make an offer I can't refuse because I don't think Dallas will be able to offer enough. I don't think Miami will entertain anything that's a, that's like, like a late round pick. They want Fitzpatrick there to mentor Tua. They want him there as a safety net. Uh, the fact is they just you know have portions of the playbook, like for instance, uh, a lot of RPO stuff they probably want to do that they can't really fully utilize with Fitzpatrick uh, that they feel that they can with Tua. And Tua is, of course, the future, and I get all that. And, and you look around the league and, and you see what Joe Burrow is doing with the offense with the Bengals. You look at what Justin Herbert is doing after replacing Tyrod Taylor on a whim. Still, 
if there if there's a second wave of shock to come out of this, a move to Dallas makes the most sense to me. It's a long shot, but Dallas has to do something because the gap from Dak Prescott to Andy Dalton proved to be way larger than many people thought when the rubber met the road on some of those takes, which is what we thought, me and Kyle thought, would happen when we laughed about those takes on this show last week. Uh, Kyle, I put a lot out there for you, but what's your what's your takeaway from all this? Yeah, first of all, for those of you that thought there would not be a drop-off from Dak to Dalton, you should deactivate your account and never log on the internet ever again. Dak is so good before the snap. like That matters in the NFL. Dalton just didn't look like he knew what was going on. The issue, and you mentioned Fitzpatrick, if I am the Dolphins GM, I'm blocking anybody with a Texas area code. Dallas Fort Worth, <laughs> if I see 214 pop up, nope, decline, deny, because there better be a damn good offer because he needs to, first of all, Tua has his fresh off an injury history. So or he has an injury history and he's fresh off, you know, missing last year. So you have to have that support and you have to imagine Fitzpatrick is going to help Tua in the meeting room. Like he's going to still be a supportive member of that team. I just couldn't imagine moving on from Fitzpatrick knowing that Tua is going to probably have some a rough start just because he's a rookie quarterback. So yeah, I would not move on from Fitzpatrick, but it's a great idea because if there's a quarterback who could help, and Dallas, they're going to need a lot more than a Fitzpatrick. But, right. I mean, who better than to throw back shoulders, to throw just to get rid of the ball? Because we've seen Fitzpatrick black out and play really well these past few weeks. The Cowboys have enough players, playmakers on the outside where get him the ball, step and throw. And Dalton's just not that guy. Fitzpatrick, he does not care. He's going to hang in there and he's going to do whatever he can to at least give you a chance, like you said. So there's going to be so much going on, I'm sure, with the trade deadline. But if I'm Miami, I am just clutching on to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and I agree. You mentioned the mental part of it, the mentor part of it. I mean, I covered the Eagles. I saw how important Josh McCown was to Carson Wentz last year. Ryan Fitzpatrick has done that for a number of quarterbacks throughout his career. You mentioned the injury history with the hip with the broken wrist, right? Tui is not the most uh, durable guy in college, so you definitely need that backup. Uh, Miami looks like they're trying to make a play to make a serious playoff run. They think that Tua can do more, at least more consistently, with the offense. They can open things up a little bit more and not just rely on that hot hand magic uh, that, that Fitzpatrick has. I don't even mean to do that. But to continue to talk about this a little bit more, and we're going to get into some nerdy details with our resident quarterback expert. We're going to go to an interview with my bud Mark Schofield of Pat's Pulpit, also the QB factory that you can listen to over at BGN. He covers quarterbacks all around the league, covers the league in total for touchdown wire. So let's talk to a with my buddy Mark Schofield. Let's pitch that right now. And joining me, as I alluded to before the pitch to here, is Mark Schofield of what? Uh, Pat's Pulpit, Touchdown Wire, BGN. We do a show together. Yeah, we do a show together at BGN, the QB factory. Yeah. You're, you're everywhere. And there's a reason that I brought you on here today because you're the QB expert that I trust the most, that I trust with my life. And me and Kyle Posey were just talking about the benching of Ryan Fitzpatrick to bring in the rookie to a tag of Iloa from Alabama is now the starter for the three and three Miami Dolphins, Miami making a move to the future. What was your initial reaction to this, Mark? Because mine was a bit of shock, but then it started to make sense as I started to think about it a little bit. Yeah, I was pretty much in the same spot as you, Mike, because initially it's like, this is a three and three team. This is a team that's in second place in the AFC East. This is a team that has won some impressive games in the past couple of weeks. And it's not like Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing poorly. He's playing pretty well. So why are they making this change? This is a team that's arguably in playoff contention. If you're Brian Flores, you make this change and say Tua struggles, you might lose the locker room over that. 
But then like you and I sort of take a step back, you start to realize that this was probably the plan all along. You sit back, you look at Miami's schedule. This is their bye week. This is almost the ideal time to make this switch to a rookie quarterback because you get that extra week of preparation to get them coached up, to get them ready to go, to install a game plan. And now they get to come out of the bye. They play Arizona, the Chargers, and the Broncos, and the Jets, and the Bengals. Like That's a pretty soft part part of the schedule for them. And so it almost seems like this was the plan all along. And you did get the sense sort of as you start to work through the machinations of their schedule and the bye week that this was going to be what they were going to do. They were going to use Fitz to get to the bye, get to this part of the schedule, then make the switch to Tua, and they stuck to their plan. And if it is indeed that was the case, then a lot of credit has to go to Brian Flores to stick it with the plan rather than say, look, let's just scrap this. Things are going well. Because you drafted Tua – to win for the next 10 years. You know, you're not trying to win right now. And so I think if this was the, indeed the plan preseason and they're sticking to it now, it shows you that there is an organizational vision to win for the next 10 years, to get Tua ready to do that. And they're not going to just throw things out the window because they're three and three right now and they think they can make a playoff run. So if that was the plan, hats off to them. I think it's it's great and it shows organizational vision, which you want to see from a team with a young quarterback. I also think too, you look around the league and I told this to Kyle, but you, you look at what Justin Herbert, the boost he was able to give to that Chargers offense. You look at what yeah. Joe Burrow is doing with the Cincinnati Bengals and you think maybe there isn't you know a real drop off there. You mentioned this off schedule. He's got time to kind of get into a rhythm. I, I think this Miami team is tougher than a lot of people might think. Like, we're used to them being the easy out. Brian Flores is coaching this team up to be a contender. If not now, then at least down the road. So I like their prospects there. Let, let's talk about how the offense might change. Because we know Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Harvard pre-snap, DeVry University post-snap. You know, right. uh, with Tua, I think the, they do different things with the playbook. I've mentioned uh, RPOs to Kyle. What do you think changes with this Miami offense? How does it look with Tua as opposed to Fitzpatrick? I think at the outset, one of the things you have to consider is if you're a defensive coordinator, say you're you know, a, a Vic Fangio or somebody like that's going to have to defend this team in the next couple of weeks. You have to think differently now because obviously you mentioned the RPOs. There's also Ryan Fitzpatrick is athletic enough. He can do some things with his legs, but two is at a different level. And so short yardage situations, red zone situations, you face some difficulty now. Do you play man coverage? If you do, you give two other chance to run. Do you play zone coverage? Okay, well, then you're in a situation where you might be exposed on RPOs or you might give this rookie quarterback a chance to make some easier reads and throws because he can decipher your coverage pre-snap. So it changes how you have to defend them. That's number one. And number two, I do think the RPO structure – Looking through Miami's offense yesterday after this was announced, I only saw like 10 or 12 true RPO plays from them this year. They could dial that up number up a big time notch, you know, because obviously that was to his bag at Alabama. Alabama ran a ton of it. You know, it is a good way to get defenders into conflict and then make easy reads and throws off of them. You always are in a position to make the defense run no matter what they do, because if they do this, you do this. If they do that, you do that. And so I think that opens up that part of the playbook for Miami, and it gives them a chance to finish off drives with touchdowns. They're a bottom 10 team right now Mm. in red zone touchdown percentage. And so when you have 
athleticism at the quarterback position, the ability to do some of this RPO stuff, you change field goal drives into touchdown drives, that might win you a game or two more than you were right now. And so short yardage situations, red zones, RPOs, like I think all that stuff changes now with Tua. So the big thing is the uh, talking point that I saw on Twitter when this happened, you know, Dan Orlovsky alluding to the fact that, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick's getting rid of the ball quick, and he is. Per PFF, 2.23 seconds time to throw on average. You know, Fitzpatrick, pre-snap guy, if he sees one-on-one with Devontae Parker being covered by Brian Allen on the outside, he's going to just take a three-step drop. He's going to chuck it up, and he's going to get the ball out, and he's going to kind of mitigate those issues with the Miami Dolphins offensive line. Does the RP – because I think Tua, coming out of college, correct me if I'm wrong here, outside of the RPO structure, does hold on to the ball a little bit too long trying to make things happen, but does the ramp up of that RPO game kind of help protect the quarterback too to help him from getting killed out there? I think in large part it does because when you're running these glance routes off of RPOs – it's basically a glorified slant, you know, and that's – I would highly recommend if people want to understand what two is going to do, you can find an RPO clinic from Steve Sarkeesian, his coach, his OC at Alabama on YouTube that talks about all the different ways they were running RPOs at Alabama and how Sark was running them at Atlanta when he was with the Falcons. And so you can see how quick these concepts come together. Also, you're exactly right, Mike, the sort of I see cover one, I'm throwing a nine ball to Devontae Parker – I don't think that changes with Tua. Mm. I don't think that goes away. He's still going to have those opportunities. I do think that Tua in college would hold on to the football longer than he needed to. He would try to make things happen, rely on his legs, play a little bit of hero ball. There's a a woeful interception he threw in the red zone against Tennessee. You can look it up where he's running around back there and throws it to like triple coverage. It was horrific. One of the three interceptions he threw, largely his worst interception. He has to eliminate that. He has to rely on getting the ball out quickly. Orlovsky's point is spot on, but I don't think it is going to be an issue because those RPO plays will be there. They will force him to get the ball out of his hands quickly. He will still have those one-on-one opportunities. He's going to see a lot of cover one. You know, teams play a lot of cover one in the NFL. So I think that will take care of itself in a sense. My theory was that Dallas should call Miami about Ryan Fitzpatrick, but that Miami should hang up the phone on him. Do do you agree with that on both sides? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I think if you're Dallas, you're making phone calls right now to two AFC East teams. You're, you're calling Miami to see about Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think you are calling New York to see about Sam Darnold. Mm. I, I, because Adam Gase is going to get fired any moment right now. And yeah, New York probably holds on to Sam Darnold, but a new regime might want to go in a different direction. We've seen that before. So why not? Maybe Joe Douglas decides, I'll take you know, a first and a second or something ridiculous yeah. if you'll give it to me. You know, why not? You know, swing for the fences. But I think if you're Miami and that phone call comes in and you see Jerry calling you from the yacht, you hang up that phone. Yeah. Because this is a team that it's three and three. And this is a team that is arguably in playoff contention. Brian Flores deserves a ton of credit for what he has done. I can't, I don't think we can overstate what they've done on the defensive side of the ball, loaded up on corners. You yes. can never have too many. It's like pitching baseball. You can never have too much of it. And if, say, Tua struggles, you can go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick and still probably win games. Yeah. If Tua gets hurt, because that is something to consider, you're going to want a guy to go back to. So, yeah. 
Dallas should call. And yeah, Flora should hand off. Mark, thank you for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show, the palpably unfair podcast. Plug where people can find your work. I already kind of did a little bit of it, but where, where can people find you on social media? What podcast are you doing? Got any pieces to plug, man? Fire away. Well, Mike, always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you can follow me on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Always fun hijinks on the Bird app. A uh, couple of different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where we do QB Factory. Uh, Pat's Paul, but where I do the SCO show. Uh, Touched on Wire, part of the USA Today Network with Doug Farrar. Um, I'm going to be doing Powell Rankings now each and every week. So you get to yell at me about those because, you know, they mean a lot. I mean, Powell Rankings, obviously, they're like polling in, you know, the college game where the AP poll comes out and you get to yell at coaches that have their dog turning a ballot. So, yeah, you could yell at me about that. So we appreciate Mark Schofield dropping by and dropping knowledge about what the Miami offense could look like and could do with Tua Tagovailoa now named the starter. And with that, we can we can move on and we can start to do uh, our regular spiel on the show. We've got three top quarterback performances from week six action. We've got three defensive MVPs from each level that Kyle will get to, of course. Uh, my top quarterback performance of the week, and this is going to be part of a larger discussion here. I, I talked about how the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, uh, this is on Monday, Football Monday, by the way, uh, he's going to start getting some looks. Like, here's a crazy stat that tells you just how efficient this Tennessee Titans offense with Ryan Tannehill has been. The Titans' EPA per play is .22. That puts them up there with the 2007 New England Patriots, who, if you remember, had one of the best offenses of all time and went undefeated in the regular season. Derrick Henry gets a lot of credit, and so far this season, I don't think that's been deserved in comparison with what Tannehill's done. This this game, though, the one they just played against Houston, though, that's not necessarily the case, uh, which I also talked about on Monday Football Monday. He was excellent, 174 yards after contact. Still, don't let that distract you from Tannehill just balling in this game. 30 for 41, four touchdowns, one interception, 20 of his completions went for first downs. The interception wasn't a bad one either. He threw a post to Khalif Raymond, uh, a go-get-it type of throw, and Raymond just got bullied at the catch point by Bradley Roby. And, and you think Titans, it's play action, and yes, they are a top five play action frequency team, but Tannehill is having the same year passing without play action than he is with it. And in this one, with no play action, 22 for 25, three touchdowns, zero picks, 222 yards, 8.9 yards per attempt and a passer rating of 143.3. So I asked this question on Twitter with a poll yesterday as we recorded today. And I wanted to ask you too, Kyle, because the results are very split, but like it also leaked out to Titans Twitter and it like really skewed the poll. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to hit you with a bunch of stats here for a sec uh, to help give it some context. But, but my question is, is Ryan Tannehill a top five quarterback? And for the purpose of this exercise, let, let's talk this season, 2020. Tannehill is sixth in completion percentage in the league. He's tied for fifth in touchdowns with 13, despite only playing five games. He's tied second in touchdown percentage, blistering 7.5%, by the way, Ooh. only thrown two interceptions. He's tied fifth in lowest interception percentage. He's tied 10th in yards per attempt. Third in passer rating, which is a stat I don't like as much, but I, I still use it a lot. I like QBR better. He's third on there, too. I love adjusted net yards per attempt. He's fourth on there. He's also got the third best sack rate. As you know, not all sacks are created equal. Some of them are, in fact, quarterback sacks. He's doing a great job avoiding those. And I'm not really a fan of fourth quarter comeback stats and game-winning drives because too many times we see that used for quarterbacks that win rock fights after putting their team in bad spots. But that's not the case in Tennessee. And he's got the most fourth quarter comebacks with three. He has four game-winning drives. He leads the league 
and again, only play five games. And last, lastly, some accuracy stats. He's fourth in completion percentage over expectation. He's fifth in adjusted completion percentage overall per PFF. First in the league in that same stat when throwing over 20 yards. Okay, now this is a small sample. It's five games, but we saw him play at a very high level last year too. So I don't think this is just a flash in the pan type stuff. A lot of people thought he would regress and he hasn't. Kyle, has Tannehill shaken off the stigma of a banged up bust and cemented himself as a top five quarterback in the league yet? So with the Titans, this is just who he's been. So it'd kind of be ignorant for us to ignore what he's done since he's been with Tennessee. Tannehill is first in the NFL in EPA per play. He is also first in the NFL in success rate mm-hmm. at 61%. He's been amazing. There's, I, don't, I don't understand why that is so difficult for us to say. <laughs> he has been a top five quarterback. And the reason I think he has been is because you know what Tennessee is going to do. They're running the same freaking plays over and over, and you yeah. still cannot stop them. Man, he's, he's been impressive. He's been under control. He's been efficient. And, and I know, as you mentioned, the sack rate, it's not always a quarterback stat or offensive line stat, but he's just getting rid of the ball fast. He looks great, man. He, uh, there, there's not much bad that I can say about Tannehill where you can kind of pick apart other players. And obviously, if we're talking about uh, talent-wise, you're probably not going to take Tannehill you know, in the top five. But if we're just talking about quarterback play this season – yeah, Tannehill's been great. He's he's definitely been a top five quarterback. So Kyle, this is this is kind of where I land on this with Ryan Tannehill. The statistical and analytical evidence is so comprehensive and complete. All of it saying that he's a top five quarterback this year. That to say he's not a top quarterback, like you would have to make a really strong case otherwise. People didn't want to believe it when all these different models and metrics were saying that Tannehill was balling last year. They used it as like to tear down that metric. They might not want to believe it. When the same is happening this year, hell, I think half of Tennessee fans think it's Derrick Henry getting them to 5-0 and when he's only really been a significant boost in the game against the Texans. Meanwhile, Tannehill was lights out yet again. I don't know if it's stubbornness or the stink of Adam Gase that is taking longer than it should to wash off of Tannehill, but the idea that Ryan Tannehill isn't a top five quarterback right now doesn't jive with the film and it doesn't jive with the numbers. We can say that other quarterbacks, and, and you kind of alluded to this, We can say that other quarterbacks are more talented. We can say they do more with less. We can say that they're asked more within the scheme. We can be the smart guy in the mentions that continually ask for more context until nothing matters anymore. That's all fair, right? We can also just call it how it is and put whatever disclaimer we need to put on it because right now, Ryan Tannehill, at the very least, belongs in that discussion. Playing like a top five quarterback this year? Yes. If we had a draft today, would I draft him top five? That's where it gets a little hazy, but he's definitely close. And that's deserving of a a level of praise that has eluded him to this point for whatever reason. Kyle, this season, do you think he has played better than Lamar Jackson, who a lot of people would rank above him, better than Deshaun Watson, who we'll talk about more in a little bit? Do you think he's played better than them? Because I I do personally. I'm glad you brought that up because the hardest thing, and not just football, the hardest thing to do in anything is to unlearn what you already know. So we have this thought that Tannehill, former receiver, bottomed out at Miami, can't stay healthy, didn't do anything with Gase. So now the reason he's doing well in Tennessee is because he has a running game. That's not true. That's just not the case at all. And I do think he's played better than Lamar, and I'm a huge Lamar guy. But if you yeah. put Lamar, if you put Ryan Tannehill, or if you just kind of switch positions, I'd imagine he, the Baltimore would probably be more successful with Tannehill. Um, Deshaun, I don't know. That's a tough one because I'm a Deshaun stand, and that is a stigma that I'm not sure that I'm able to break. <laughs> uh, but 
again, it's tough to separate, you know, when we do that, when we go from different offenses and we just compare players like that. But it would be very hard for you to name five better players than Tannehill with all the evidence. And we can just go play for play, throw for throw. And I'm pretty confident that Tannehill would land in the top five. So good conversation on that. I'm sure Titans fans will enjoy that. Let's move on to my second quarterback of the week. We'll kind of run through these already. Uh, 30 for 40, 371, four touchdowns, zero interceptions for Matt Ryan of the Atlanta Falcons. Welcome to the NFL rookie moment came again for Vikings cornerback Cameron Dantzler. Look. If you are going to squat at the top of a route from Julio Jones, expect to get bullied out of the way. Don't complain to the ref after the play. And that's just what happened on the on the first of those four touchdowns. Uh, soon after, Dantzler got turned around on a blaze out from Calvin Ridley for a gain of 18. Dantzler was in the spin cycle on that one. And it wasn't just Dantzler either. The other rookie for the Vikings, Jeff Gladney, got got a couple of times, including a bomb to Russell Gage, of all people, on third and three that went for 27. Gladney also the guy in coverage on Julio Jones on the super weird play where Jones turns into a blocker late on a scramble and then releases upfield and leaves Gladney completely behind. Ryan takes a shot from Eric Hendricks on the release, but it's not enough. 40 yards to Pater. They go up 30-7, to and another bust later on that set Hayden Hurst free made it 40-15. to the, the Vikings are a mess, but it was a great day for Matt Ryan. I am happy for Falcons fans to get a W after what's been a terrible start to the season. And we might as well move right on to number three. We'll get into Deshaun Watson because I know you want to talk about him. It, it's a it's a loss, okay? But you know I'm not a QB wins guy, especially when the defense gives up 42 freaking points, including overtime. Uh, 28 for 37, 335. It's his fourth week in a row with over nine yards per attempt. In fact, he's tied with Russell Wilson for first in yards per attempt. Throw in four touchdowns, no interceptions. It's hard to leave you off the list here. Big-time performance, carrying the team on his back, connecting deep to Will Fuller on the 53-yard bomb was the biggest play of the day for him. Malcolm Butler for the Titans kind of got turned around, had some bad eyes on that one. Uh, obviously, when when healthy, Fuller has legit track speed. Watson doesn't miss him. Boom, touchdown. Like It's super obvious when the quarterback isn't the reason for a losing record. And this is one of those cases. You got to feel for the guy. And we talked about him a lot here, but like no need to belabor the point. But like we talked before the show and you said, I went back after we recorded last week and you said you probably snubbed them last last week. What, what did you see from Watson recently that you liked? So real quick, I want to just touch on Julio, that play. <laughs> do, you remember, do you know the meme, gif, video, whatever you want to call it, where uh, the Joker goes like flying and stumbling back like five yards? That's what that play reminded me of, Dancer, because he played it well, but he just ran into a grown man. Actually, the grown man ran into him, and he went flying. And quick on Ridley, best blaze out bench runner in the NFL. Like, he is so fluid when he does that. But as far as Deshaun, what I saw last week, and yeah, and I mentioned that to you, where he is holding safeties with his eyes. I think we're starting to see the evolution of Watson as a quarterback because, essentially, it seems like for the for the most of his career – for lack of better terms, he's kind of just playing football. He's not really going through all the things that you would like to see a, a high-level quarterback doing. He's such a talent that he's able to get away with a lot of things. Um, but we're seeing progression this year. Not as much turnovers, not as much sacks. But what we're seeing now is him holding safeties, moving the defense with his eyes. He's playing so patient in the pocket. And against last week against the Jaguars, he's dropping throws in the bucket. He's moving safeties, as I mentioned. And he's not just moving safeties, but moving linebackers. He's going through progressions, going through his reads, and he's not scrambling to run. He's moving around in the pocket, having subtle movements, sliding in the pocket. 
and he's creating throws. He's just a mastermind, man. And Romero Cornell, go for two. Your defense hasn't stopped anybody. If you want to go down swinging, go down swinging with your best player, who is your quarterback, when you have two yards to go, not against a defense who couldn't stop me right now. I just don't understand the re- the decision to not go for two and thinking that you will be able to stop Derrick Henry in overtime. Like, come on, man. So a couple of duds to hit on quickly. Uh, Joe Flacco, uh, bud, good for you. Like, but what? Like, <laughs> collecting a paycheck, like I get it. Uh, but like, I'm not sure the football thing is, is it for you anymore, especially when you're wasting away playing for Adam Gase of all people. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, we talked about on Monday Football Monday. Tampa Bay harassed him all day, almost had two pick sixes. A 35.4 passer rating is third worst of his long career. And you have to go back to 2014 to find a worse performance going by that metric. So it was a real rough one for Aaron. We expected to see like a little bit of a roller coaster. And this was just like straight off like Niagara Falls. So I think Aaron's going to be fine, but very impressive from the Tampa Bay defense. Impressive for them to do it without Vita Vea. And we are going to talk about some guys on their defense that stepped up in this game in his absence as well as we get to our three defensive MVPs from each level of the defense that's coming up next here on the palpably unfair podcast and we're back here on the palpably unfair podcast episode 7 SB Nation bringing it to you Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey and I've done my big quarterback spiel and now we get to talk about some defense let's get to our three defensive MVPs from each level of the field defensive line Kyle who did you like when you went back and watched the film from week six action so this is a guy that we haven't talked about and I thought Shelby Harris of the Broncos, who, who probably has real estate in New England right now after that game because he lived in their backfield. He batted a couple passes and Vic Fangio had a good point where he said a lot of times batted balls are just guys who are stuck at the line. They don't have a great pass rush. But on this play where Harris forced an interception, he just whipped his guy with a nice arm over move, got his hands up, forced a batted ball and another defensive lineman made a diving play for an interception. Uh, Harris didn't have a sack on the day, but he did have a hit. He hit Cam once, and he had another stop for a run. He's just a large human being, so nimble. He's a, he's a three-tech and a nose-tackles body, and he just won time and time again. He was giving New England fits all afternoon. I thought he was one of the most impressive defensive players that I saw all week. He was great. So let's get to the second level, because I did say we were going to talk some Bucks, and the Bucks had a fantastic defensive performance against Aaron Rodgers after going down 10 to nothing. They come all the way back, and some people might credit the offense. I think they would be wrong. I give a lot of credit to the defense in this one. And at the second level for them, they had a couple of guys that balled out. And we've talked about Levante David a lot on here. But you thought, and I thought as well when you said his name, Devin White had a heck of a performance in this one. The young LSU alum coming through for the Bucks in this one. Yeah, Devin White was all over the place against Green Bay. He had nine tackles. Uh, seven of those were stops. So he's making plays at the line of scrimmage. And as you mentioned, Devontae Levante uh, David gets a lot of love. And it's probably time to start talking about his running mate. And White can flat out fly. It's speed matters in the NFL. White made a few insane sideline to sideline plays. I think the biggest difference between him and David, White doesn't have <laughs> the DK Metcalf hips. He can actually turn and run and make plays. 
And we saw that all afternoon against Green Bay. He made plays as a pass rusher, too. So he had a sack. And he was in the backfield a couple other times where he looked like a star. He looked like the player people talk about when they're talking about Levante David. I think, I mean, shout out to Todd Bowles, man. He had some great designs. They are doing a good job, even without Vita Vea, as you mentioned, to keep their linebackers clean. It helps when you have the athleticism to be able to run around, run through blocks. Uh, One play that doesn't really have anything to do with Devin White before the half the Packers were driving the ball. Todd Bowles runs into a cover two with the slot corner, go runs to the deep half, and the cornerback sits in like a cloud underneath, completely threw Rodgers off. Mm. Uh, Bowles was in his bag, man. It, it was it was fun to watch. That That's a fun defense, man, and, and White is leading the charge, I think. You mentioned it being a fun defense, and they had like uh, – who, who was the safety? Jordan Whitehead was was lining up over the center, and they were bringing stunts with with Winfield, and like they were doing all types of crazy stuff, man. Like I love Bowles, and Bowles is like one of the most – humble coaches that you're going to hear they'll ask him about like an exotic blitz and be like yeah it's no big deal I, I stole that from the from this other coach or whatever like he's he's so humble he's so cool but he is super aggressive and he has this defense coached up and flying around and like when you get to like the third level of the defense from the defensive backs a guy that you wanted to talk about was Jamel Dean and it was somebody that I actually shouted out on Monday Football Monday so we decided to go into a different direction but tell me what you saw from uh, Jamel Dean because it seems like this guy is a film rat with a fantastic athletic profile and it's really starting to come through in his play. Yeah so I was very high on him coming out of the draft so I've been following like when you when that happens you want to follow those guys around just to make sure wait was I right was I wrong what did I what was what happened with him so four three guy great body type like long arms can run isn't is fluid too so it's not like he's just a a straight line athlete that's not the case at all and he mentioned that when the Packers go in motion with uh, Devontae Adams to that side they're going to throw an out route Rodgers is going to throw that uh, what Dean did was sit on the route perfectly, didn't budge at the sticks, jumped the route, cut in front of Adams, and just took it to the house. He's, I'm not, he's not a superstar, but he is really close. Like he's on the verge of being a very, very good player, man. So I'm, I'm happy that he's having success. I'm sure it helps playing Bulls. Bulls has no reason to be humble as he is. He should talk <laughs> so much shit. I love him so much, yeah. man. He's yeah. great. But uh, my cornerback of the week is actually Jason Brett for the 49ers. He played out of his mind against the Rams. Like, he was very, very good. He's been playing – he's been trending that way. But I feel like what we saw Sunday night was a player who has fully regained his confidence because he was an all-pro way, way back when, has battled through so many, so many different surgeries and injuries. But the first couple starts that he had, he was a little timid. He wasn't sure about, you know, coming up to make a tackle. And even when he was in coverage, he was chasing receivers out of his zone. He was getting caught – where he was, you know, if they would be in a simple cover three, he would chase the post and they would run the scissors that the corner would be open. The Giants should have taken advantage, but Danny Dimes is Danny Dimes. And that did not happen. The Eagles actually got Verrett on a similar concept like that. But what we saw against the Rams is Verrett having all this communication. So he's signaling to his other guys. He's making sure that, you know, I'm not going to make those same mistakes. So that was very promising. You saw the interception, beautiful play where he comes off of his man and who was in the flat, Jared Goff throws the seven route in the end zone, and Verrett playing his eyes as a field corner, which he is now. I don't think that's his Go best ahead. spot, but he's playing the field corner because Richard Sherman is out. He has You have to have great eye discipline and be able to see your man and the quarterback when you're in that position. He comes off of the flat route, just makes a great play, high points it. A lot of cornerbacks struggle to do that. He also had a couple other routes where he is just running through the receiver, and that is – 
a very, very good thing to see from Verrett because he's fat, like he's super fast. Always, always was, always has had, you know, high level athleticism, four, three guy. But to see him sit on routes, to see him run routes for receivers, and then they're playing zone now that they can mix it up with Verrett since he's not making the same mistakes. He's underneath playing the cloud coverage, taking away routes, playing the trap coverage, taking away out routes. He was great, man. It's, it was probably as good as a cornerback, as good of a cornerback performance as you'll see. This is this is when he's healthy. I still remember the the old Chase and Verrett. One of the stickiest cover guys with the with the most fluid hips oily hips that you'll ever see like this guy is capable of locking people down and you saw some of that against the Rams and it was super cool to see because I'm such a big fan of his and I'm just praying that he's healthy so that we can see him ball out again even if it's just for a freaking season man like he's he's so doggone good and the 49ers need it because they were some of our duds last week when we talked about them playing Where's Waldo with Brian Allen and you know other guys really struggling. They need that type of play from a player like that, so I hope he stays healthy. Kyle, that does it for the defensive MVPs. Is there anything else for the listeners you want to get out there before we hit the old uh, dusty trail? No, man. I mean, just back on Brett, he is just jumping on routes, jumping out routes, curl routes, routes that you normally see cornerbacks play passive against. He is running mm-hmm. through the receivers. So as you mentioned, easy to root for a player like that who's been through that, been through what Barrett has. So I just, yeah, hope hope he keeps it up because um, the 49ers have to have that happen. <laughs> so that's going to do it for the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 7, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. We hope you have subscribed to the feed. If you're enjoying the feed, go ahead and go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star uh, review. And in that written review, I don't care what you do, say your following directions or shout out whatever shows you like best. Of course, it's not the Oddcast because that's terrible. Uh, maybe Monday Football Monday or the Palpably Unfair Podcast, of course. But no, we do thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. Uh, it, it's really taking off here and uh, we, we love you for it. So make sure you uh, join us tomorrow for the look ahead. Go back and listen to the Oddcast, the Monday Football Monday. Catch all the shows here on the SB Nation NFL show lineup and we will catch you next time in the meantime go dominate have yourselves a day